Ron and Anian. I guess we really should enjoy driving our cars. I was reading an article this week that talked about the beginnings of Route 66. It was just so interesting to see ways to get across the country were just so much easier across Route 66 that you just look at the romance of the automobile and now we're going to go to trains and self-driving cars and, you know, where's the fun in that? The Car Doctor. Think about cars as a whole and think about systems as part of the car. And that's, you know, that's how you got to maintain it. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Ron Annie, the car doctor here at 855-560-9900. That didn't have enough pep in it, did it, Tom? Was that okay? I just want to make sure. It's nice to see you over there, buddy. Oh. Next time, next time, sit on the thumbtack. Yeah, then you will, you'll hey, have more you, more you, you pep than you ever tra- need. You me, should I try that again? You want to, you want to play no, the opening? No, 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 again? no, no. I get it again. Let's One, not do that. Let's do three, two. Hey, it's time to start your engines. I don't know. Maybe I'm tired. Tom, no, 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 no. We're live right now, so there's no retake. Sorry, dude. Oh, is that what it is? That's yes. one thing I love about radio. You make a mistake in radio, and you go on to the next thing. It's a lot like life. Before we go anywhere, by the way, cardoctorshow.com is the website, and uh, we're glad to have you here with us. Um, I, I've got a comment about something. Last week, Tony didn't get in because of the trains, and we've been talking about this because the trains in New York City, you know, I don't understand this, all right? This is this is like if one day you find out they can't make Q-tips right. They've only been making Q-tips for a gazillion years, and, you know, all of a sudden, which sometimes you do. You ever get a bad Q-tip that's really bad? It kind of pulls off the stem and... That's, you hate that, right? Like, why can't they make... They used to be better. You think Q-tips as a kid. Tony couldn't get here last week. The trains in New York were all cockeyed. And you say to yourself, gee, how come they can't manage the trains? They've only been running the trains. When did Subway start running in New York City? The 1890s? The turn of the century, right? Into 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 the twos? Into the 19s? So, we've been running the 120 years. We can't get it right. But So now we're going to create self-driving cars and autonomous vehicles and, you know, all that other stuff. Can you say jackass on radio? Can you? You just said it. Oh, that's right. Okay, we're live. I keep forgetting <laughs> that. So, Fiat Chrysler, just just know what was going through my mind when I read this article. That, you know, this is what we've created. Fiat Chrysler warns 4.8 million owners don't use the cruise control. This is in today's paper. Now, think self-driving cars while I read you this story. Fiat Chrysler is recalling 4.8 million vehicles in the U.S. because in a rare... Yeah, like this is rare. But terrifying circumstance, drivers may not be able to turn off the cruise control. The company is warning owners not to use cruise control until the cars and trucks can be fixed with a software update. Fiat Chrysler says the condition can occur if the cruise control accelerates at the same time as an electrical short circuit happens, but the brakes are designed to overpower the engine and the vehicle could still be stopped. Yeah. Um, In a complaint filed with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, an owner from Kansas said a 2017 Dodge Journey rental vehicle was being driven about 70 miles per hour with the cruise control on when the windshield wipers came on by themselves and the throttle locked up. 
The owner, who was not identified in the agency's complaint database, wrote that the cruise control could not be disengaged by tapping the brakes or turning off the button. The driver was able to slam on the brakes, get the SUV to the side of the road. It was still running at engine speed to support 70 miles per hour and fight the brakes, the driver wrote. The engine stop button. This is where it gets a little scary. The engine stop button wouldn't work, but the driver was able to halt the SUV and shift into park, even though the brakes smoked significantly. Wow. So imagine if this was a self-driving car. How would a self-driving car shut down? Well, I guess it wouldn't have cruise control. A self-driving car is always in cruise control, right? But think about, that's just insane. And they're going to fix this with software, or so they believe. But here's the scary part. We should go back and find the name of that professor we had on the show two years ago from Michigan. He was teaching at the technical college. Maybe it's longer than two years. Maybe it's three years ago. He was teaching at the technical college. It's the only university program in the country that writes software code. And he was telling us how there's more software code three years ago in automobiles than there are in Boeing 767s. And look at how they're, I mean... You know, if you're driving a Fiat Chrysler right now, what cars are affected here? The recall includes 15 different Jeep, Dodge, Chrysler. Well, that about covers the whole line then. Um, uh, 15 Jeep, oh, 2015 is what they're saying, not 15 different. 15 Jeep, Dodge, Chrysler, and Ram models from six model years. That doesn't make any sense. So it includes a bunch of vehicles. Models in Canada, Mexico, and other countries are affected, but the company is still sorting out which ones. Affected models include, ah, nobody's driving any of these, 2014-2019 Ram pickups, 2014-2018 pickups and chassis cabs, uh, Chrysler 200, Chrysler 300, 2017, and Chrysler Pacifica minivan, Dodge Challenger. If you're driving a Chrysler, you should eat. You should eat home tonight because you probably don't or not go somewhere far because, you know, you turn on the cruise. It may be the last thing you may really go for a cruise on Memorial Day weekend. Whew. Um, and that's why I was thinking of that word that I can't say on radio. That Tony says it's okay, but I'll only say it once because you know it's too close to Sunday. Um, so we'll leave it at that. But um, just be aware on a serious side. If you're driving a Chrysler, I thought that was important to get out that there's a recall out there right now, Fiat Chrysler's almost 5 million owners don't use the cruise control. That's insane. That's really insane. I, I That boggles my mind. And we're going to have autonomous cars. We can't get the software right. And this is what got me. We, we can't get the software right in cars that we're behind the wheel and we have the ability to shift. How'd you like to be sitting in the back seat of an autonomous vehicle and all of a sudden the thing accelerates? You, you know what we're going to be reading about? Fiat Chrysler autonomous vehicles getting ready to install injector seats. You know, what are we going to do? Put a parachute on the person, the roof opens, boom, you hit the button, out the guy pops. You know, hey, that in 250 would be like a carnival ride down the shore, okay? You can walk You can walk back home at night, get yourself an orange snow cone, you're all set and ready to go. I mean, that's more, that's insane. Oh, my God. So maybe this is the government's way of thinning the herd. I'm not really sure. We're just going to, like, you know, knock people off in self-driving cars. That could be the next thing we do. Anyway, for the time being, this is Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor until they pry the microphone out of my cold, dead hands and uh, take me off the air. Let's kick the garage doors open, and let's go over and talk to Linda in the wonderful state of Auburn and the town of Auburn, Texas. Linda, welcome to the Car Doctor. Thanks for allowing me to vent a little bit. I feel much better. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. No, that's no problem. And that's Alvin, Texas, um, A-L-V-I-N. Okay, they have Auburn. Yeah, we want to get that right, Alvin. I think, Tony, didn't you go to college in Auburn? 
No, uh, I went to college um, outside of Houston on um, Prairie View A and M. Okay, I know where she's at. She's outside of Houston. She's in Alvin, Texas. Going, okay. yeah, I know where she's at. Okay, well, at least we know where she is now. So let's get the typing right. I'm sorry about that, Linda. How can I help you today? Uh, I have a 2014 Toyota Camry that I bought bought brand new back in 2014, and the mileage on it started off being 32.1 miles per gallon, which was great. I was very excited about that. But as the time has gone on, it has lessened each year to where now I'm at 28.2 miles per gallon. Has your driving or have your driving habits changed over the last, you know, three years, four years? No. Still, no. The, still the same commute? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, no extra weight in the vehicle? You didn't go from becoming a feather salesperson to an anvil salesperson? No. Right? There's, there's nothing extra in the trunk? Tire pressure's all been checked all along the way. The car's been serviced regularly. There's no dashboard warning lights on, et cetera. Correct. Okay. Nothing. First question I always come to when, whenever somebody asks me this question is, what is the EPA mileage rating for the vehicle? I do not know. Okay. If EPA mileage rating is 32, then you might have a legitimate argument and question as to why it's down roughly, you know, what is that, 12%? All right, um, something like that. So that's a pretty steep number. See, a lot of people look at that and go, ah, it's only five miles per gallon. Yeah, but it's 12%. That's a pretty big number. All right. If EPA, you know, highway traffic, if, if, if the mileage rating is 28, then guess what? That's where you are. Why was it different then? Cars do funny things. There is a break-in period. Um, you know, and you hear stories on my side of the fence anywhere from five, the first five to the first 15,000 miles. And I'm, I'm sure this was longer than that. I'm sure you'll tell me that, you know, you got decent mileage the first year. You probably put 15, 20,000 miles on it the first year, I'm guessing. I, that's correct. And it was 32.1. Right. right. <laughs> so um, how many miles are on it now? 54,000. Right. Um, what did you do? With, what kind of a service did you do at 30? I did not do a service at 30. Okay, but you're changing the oil. Oh, oh yes, yeah. correct. Yeah, every no, I don't, they're, they're, they're two separate things. How often are you changing oil, just out of curiosity? Every 6,000 miles. Okay, and who's doing that, the dealer? Yes. All right. Do they ever talk to you about fuel system cleaning or fuel injection cleaning, anything like that? Uh, they did the last time, and instead of me paying their price, um, it was suggested by several men that I use the injector additives and switch over to shell gas and okay. get the premium. And instead of the mileage getting better, it dropped from 29.1 to 28.2. Okay. Did you did you go back to whatever brand of gas you were using? Uh, no, I did not. All right. So, and I have a couple of thoughts I want to I want to just touch on real quick. Gasoline is, is, is the wild card in the fuel economy chase, all right? If, and I never look at fuel economy. I'm just thrilled to be able to buy gas. I never really pay attention to, you know, but I also, you know, I, I work and live within a 12-mile radius of everything. Uh, you know, a short trip in Texas is uh, three hours later. We finally get to the corner store because it's such a big state. Um, you know, uh, you know, Saturday night dinner is yeah. Well, you know, Saturday night dinner is an is an eight hour round trip. You know, it's uh, uh, you know, we're going out for ribs. Good luck with that. Um, 
So fuel economy is important. If you're, if you're chasing fuel economy, it's got to be the same brand. And I'm not saying any one particular brand, a name brand, something with good detergent additives in it. Shell is great stuff. All right. I like BP Amico, good stuff. Um, Exxon Mobil, good stuff. Um, but you're looking for something with additives in it, and you want to be consistent. You want to buy the same product every time. All right. Long term, that will have an effect on how the computer perceives things. And you know what? Before I rush this answer, Linda, stay put. Tom's giving me the high sign. Let me pull over and take a pause for the cause, and I'll be back right after this to finish it out. I'm Ron Anini, the car doctor. We'll, we'll return. Don't go away. Don't you hate when you need some expensive part or service? It sure makes maintaining your car a frustrating task. Thankfully, Pep Boys has over a million parts in stock, like batteries, filters, brake pads, and more. And if you need a little extra help, the Pep Boys will install the part for you. Since 1921, Manny Moe and Jack's legacy has been to provide quality parts, service, and tires to people everywhere. So the next time you need car advice or simply want a service done, head to the pros. Visit your local Pep Boys or shop online at PepBoys.com. What's more fun than listening to Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor and getting that car fixed right? 855-560-9900. Give Ron a call. Now, back to Ron. Linda, are you still there? Yeah. Alvin, Texas. So we're talking about, you know, fuel system cleaning and, 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 and things like that. So you were saying that you had poured uh, a fuel tank additive in the tank? Yes. Okay. So, you know, doing a fuel tank additive in the tank is, is, is good maintenance, all right? But it doesn't replace a formal, correctly done fuel injection cleaning. The, the, the difference is it's, it's, you know, what goes in the tank isn't as concentrated it's it's sort of like taking a vitamin D pill because you know it, your your blood count is low versus sitting out in the sun eight hours a day. All right, one's gonna one's gonna do more good for you than the other, but you know we all don't have time to lie around and take a suntan. Um, that being said, fuel tank additives are good. I would think about getting a fuel injection cleaning done where they physically hook a machine up and run a detergent cleaner through the fuel rail, clean the injectors. It'll clean carbon deposits off inside the engine. Definitely a good maintenance idea at this point in the game. Check and make sure tire pressure is good. All right, you know, just 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 the basics. Um, it doesn't hurt to look at wheel alignment and then or brakes dragging things like that. I don't think that's going to be your issue, but I don't want to overlook something so simple. We were talking yeah. about we were talking about fuel brands, right? So, you know, one of the things that goes wrong with cars is we start hunting around and we start looking for, well, you know, Shell's the cheapest this week, Exxon's the cheapest that week, and then it's Sunoco, and then it's, then it's, then it's you know, BP and, and so forth. Each manufacturer has different blends, um, you know, of fuel. They, they, they're, you know, they have to market and sell us something, so they create things. Um, and that consistency, you know, the computer reacts to those to to those changes, and it's it's always searching and hunting. So, in a way, using one consistent brand of fuel, in a way, if you think about it, is you're tuning the engine to run on that. You know, you're getting the computer used to that brand, that blend of fuel. And the question becomes, which one works best? Right? You're going to ask me that question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was the next question. And here's the answer. All right, and we should record this because I don't really say this on air very often. I don't know. You're going to have to try them all, and you know you're going to have to you know do a consistent test. I would I would do a fuel injection cleaning. I would do a good additive. I, I and and I like Tecron 
as a fuel system additive. I like Berryman, too, and I think I, I, I give the edge to Berryman right now. I think Berryman B12 chem tool that we talk about from time to time, and I have talked about Tecron. I think Berryman B12 chem tool right now has the edge. They've had it for a while. Um, I think they've reacted to the changing problems with carbon issues over the past two years because it's really gotten to be a very predominant, very big issue for, for vehicles um, in, in the last couple of years. And uh, their, their high-energy solvent technology, the HEST formula, that they call it, that they market it with, it, it, it does work. I would try a can of Berryman's in there, um, available at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're scattered all over Texas, someplace else for you to drive, um, you know, uh, and, and, and by all means. But, you know, in terms of an actual carbon cleaning, got get got to get somebody to do a, a, a real fuel system cleaning um, okay. and, and see how it reacts to that. Short of that, the next thing I would I would do, just out of curiosity, you know, if you went to the doctor and you said, Doc, I'm feeling kind of sluggish and I don't really feel good, and he's going to start giving you some shots and vitamins and start playing around, he's probably going to do a heart rate and blood pressure test before. I'd probably take a shot of fuel trim. I'd, I'd put it on the scan tool and drive around, graph out a few things, look at look at sensor activity and fuel trim both before and after. Am I making any difference? If I make a difference, then I know it was a step in the right direction. If I'm not, then, you know, at least I tried, but at least I have numbers to refer back to. You know, having test results is always a good thing. And then last but not least, let's not forget, I'd be curious. I'll have to Google it myself to see what's a 2014 Camry. What's the, what's the fuel economy rating? Um, you know, like I said, if it's 25, I wouldn't tell anybody. They'll come and take the car away from you. If it, <laughs> if, if it was supposed to be 35, then you got a legitimate case to complain. Um, uh, you know, but that's that's really where I kind of see it. Does that make sense? It, it does. Is it possible that an O2 sensor is working its way to going out and the warning light just hasn't come on yet? Absolutely. Very possible. So, okay. but, but, but the O2s, you know... They test O2 sensors. The only thing tested more than O2 sensors in this world today are kids between the 6th and 12th grade trying to figure out what they should do with the rest of their lives, which is, you know, they give them all kinds of tests. They test O2 sensors probably 12 or 14 different ways on the average late model car. There are so many things that they're looking for in terms of, you know, how it's reacting and what it's doing. What your mechanic could do all right, is there's there's a piece of software in a vehicle called Mode 6, M-O-D-E 6, Mode 6. Mode 6 is the when, the, when the doctor says, hey, nurse, check her heart rate and blood pressure, and the nurse records those numbers, Mode 6 is the computer saying, hey, check Linda's O2 sensors. Mode 6 is the piece of the software that does the actual testing and records it. So, you know, when she takes your heart rate and blood pressure, maybe it's supposed to be, you know, 80 over 120 or 120 over 80. Um, maybe it's 120, maybe it's 140 over 100. It's not a failure yet, but it's going to record it. Same thing with mode six. It's going to look at switch rate and all the different ways the O2 sensor gets tested. And, you know, if, 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 if it's supposed to be a 10, whatever the number is, if it's supposed to be a 10 and your O2 sensor is at 9, Hey, you know what? It's not a failure, but it's getting there. It's something to go look at. Okay. Y you get it? Yes. You know, and that, that number 10 is probably literally 24,390. It's some ridiculous big number um, in Mode 6. Mode 6 numbers are just huge. But those are the things I would do. And if you want to listen to this conversation again, 
Um, after the show today, go to cardoctorshow.com and you go to the podcast page. You can download the second hour. You'll be an hour two. Uh, you start it up somewhere around uh, 15 minutes past the top of the hour. You can catch it from there on down. Play it back for your mechanic. Linda, I appreciate the call, and good luck to you down there, Texas Way. I'm Ron Manning, the car doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the end of the car doctor. Let's go over and talk to Dave in Long Island, 07F150. Dave, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes. Good afternoon. How are yes, you? Sir. Good. How are you? All right. Okay. So um, I, I do have a, it's a 2006 Ford F150. Okay. Automatic. And I had this problem since the winter. I never got it checked out. And I tried to do a few things. Um, the, it doesn't want, does not want to go into four-wheel drive. All right. Um, select the switch on the dashboard. Right. And no lights come on. Doesn't engage. It stays in two-wheel drive. Okay. Um, did it did it die or was it one day it just didn't want to shift into it? Just didn't want to shift into it. I went to use it and no light came on the dashboard and um, just you know I realized it wasn't engaged. We had a snowstorm and it was just sliding all over the place. So okay, that's when I realized we had a problem. Any any had it been a while since you since you had used it, Dave? You know was it. Was um, it or is it your everyday vehicle, or was it sitting for a while? It's before my, you... Well, it's not my everyday vehicle, uh, but I, um, yeah, it doesn't like I use it all the time. It's my secondary vehicle. Right, okay. And just went to use it because it was a snowstorm, and I said, let me use my four-wheel drive truck, and uh, it wouldn't engage. Any any repair attempts? Yes. Um, that motor, it's on the trans case underneath. I did get, a, uh, I guess, a, a new one. I had it installed by a local mechanic. And no change, because I was reading articles that that's the common problem with right. those. Right, which and which he, which it is. But before I did that, which it's easy for me to sit here and say that, but before I would do that, is has anybody scanned this, done any sort of diagnostic to it? Um, I did go to a tr local transmission guy, put a scan thing on it. I, I don't think he was up to date on how to use it, <laughs> okay. to be honest with you. Right. And he was just talking, oh, we got to check the transmission and all this stuff out. And I said, you're not touching my transmission. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, um, because the truck only has like 94000 on it. Let me, let, me, let me tell you this story. I had a 2015 Chevy Suburban came into the shop this week, Thursday, as a matter of fact. And the customer's right. complaint was the air conditioning didn't work. It had, it had just been to the dealer. The dealer did a recall to it, and it came out. The air conditioning didn't work. So, you know, where would you go? How do you fix this? You're thinking there's so many possibilities and so many what-ifs. First thing I did, like I do on everything now, is I, I, I did a system scan. I looked at all the modules. I read for fault codes, and there weren't any. But then I went into data stream, and I started looking at AC pressures, pressure switches. Um, you ever you notice before you go to bed at night, Dave, you, you, you check the front door, make sure the front door is locked, right? Sure. Well, you, you know, so what do you do? You, you walk over to the door, you wiggle the doorknob, and yeah, it's locked. Okay, honey, let's go to bed, right? Um, you kind of have to get in the habit with cars today of checking the front door using a scan tool, all right. right? Because there's just a lot of things you can see that go beyond just wiggling the knob. And, right. you know, sometimes it's... You know, like if this was a bad uh, shift motor, you'd, you typically see a P as in Peter 1867. That's the fault code that usually comes up in the powertrain control module. 
But you can also go and look to see what is the state of the control module. In other words, through a good scan tool, not OBD2, manufacturer-specific software. You'd have to be a little bit further up the food chain in terms of a scan tool. You can go and look to see, you know, where's the control switch for the motor? Where's the contact plates? What are they reading? All right? You can, you can diagnose this. Now, you could do this with a voltmeter, too. You can, you know, get out a wiring diagram and go wire for wire, white, violet, yellow, light blue, orange, etc., and, and start pinning out wire colors and, you know, wh where's it reading? Um, and then you can also go back to, you know, the, the, the switch and, you know, do I have power and ground at the switch? Um, I, would right. I would surely go through fuses and see, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just for giggles, I always ask, is there anything else in the truck not working? Any accessory, is, you know, a cigarette lighter, um, um, any interior light, is there something else electrically not working that might ultimately right. lead me to, well... You know, the fuse, the fuse for the cigarette lighter blew, and I don't know this for a fact on your truck. I'd have to look at a diagram, but, you know, how many times I find, well, the cigarette lighter fuse blew, and, you know, the cruise control stopped working, and nobody can make the connection. Mm -hmm. um, right. you know, right. <laughs> and all because of the $12 Verizon, you know, cell phone charger or AT&T cell phone charger that, you know, shorted out. Um, sure. So w w where I would begin this diagnosis is if, if, if I were looking this up, on my own wiring diagram, I always look at the circuit. Um, I want to look at power distribution to see what fuse feeds that component, and mm -hmm. then how does it get to that component, and, you know, is that fuse working? Once I've established fuses are good, because there could be more than one fuse for any component today. There, yeah, there is on that truck uh, yeah. for that four-wheel drive. Yeah. I actually checked some fuses out. Right. Um, I'm an aviation guy, so it okay. kind of like falls into your kind of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. You know, yeah. um, um, but they all seem they all did seem to be fine. Okay. Um, you know, there's certain um, I guess relay fuses, whatever they call those. Right. Does and, does uh, the switch light up? No. No, at the, no. The dashboard doesn't engage the light, four wheel drive. I mean, without when I turn the key on, you see all the lights you know, show up okay. on the dashboard. The, the four wheel drive is showing it. You know that the light is active, right? Uh, but when engaging, nothing happens. Okay. You usually, hear a clicking sound. You know, I guess on that motor underneath here, you, you don't hear nothing coming. Right. Sounds like there's no power probably to it. I guess because that's well, I mean, unless it's another bad unit. Well, installed. But before you know, be, but, be, before we go there, all right. Right. Before we go there, all right. If you're are, are you an aviation mechanic, a pilot, an engineer? A... Aviation mechanic. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting the plane ready for takeoff, Dave. Um, what's what's easier? The pilot says the flaps don't work. We're going to plug in the scan tool and look to see can we read the servo motors for the flaps, or we're going to crawl out inside the wing at ten thousand feet and see if we can wiggle it. Uh, right? <laughs> you got to go. You got to go with equipment first. Right. You got you got to go with the equipment first. Yeah. We're, no, I, I, yeah, I understand. Yeah. So so that's where um, you are. Um, sure. You know you can't. Yeah, you know, we got to call it like it is, right? We can't right. count the trans guy that went, well, we got to take all this apart because we really don't understand how to read the scan tool. That's not really a diagnosis. <laughs> um, that was, you know, hopefully he didn't charge you for that, uh, you know, that, that, you know, it cost you any money. That was just a lesson in, okay, this is not how we're going to do it. So, right. uh, you know, I want to go. more like I should uh, bring it to Ford and have him do a complete scanning on this thing to see what's going on, I yeah. guess, huh? 
Ford or somebody qualified. I, you know what? There's right. there's good and bad right. in all repair shops. Doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I've said it for years. I haven't gotten thrown off the air yet because of it. But you know, just because there's a, a a Ford emblem over the Ford guy's store, the Chevy emblem over the Chevy guy's store, all that means is he went out with the factory rep the night before, got him got him liquored up. They signed the contract. They made a deal. Hey, you're, you're the dealer now. Doesn't mean he's you know. Right. Doesn't mean he's good or bad. It just that's it is what it is. That's the way business is. Um, or shop has the equipment. That right. Is, yeah. It's yeah. it's it's somebody's got a diagnosis and and the easiest way around this is beyond codes what does data stream show if data stream shows that you know the motor's there but it's in an open position well wait a minute now it's supposed mm-hmm. to be closed it you know where are we what are we doing uh, we can do a lot of right. testing with a scan tool and that's the point of this conversation without having to get our fingers dirty and without having to really lift the hood at this point um, yes. You know, uh, between that and a wiring diagram is where I would start this diagnosis. All right, sir? And okay. ho- hopefully you yes. kept the old motor because you may find out that that wasn't it. And, um, you yeah, know, you, probably. You, you yeah, I do, I do have it, yeah. So, all right. Alrighty. Do that and uh, give me a well, shot back next week and we can talk some more. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Dave. You take good care. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy, the car doctor, coming back right after this. on the wall so you don't forget to call for car advice done right 855-560-9900 now back to ron hey let's um let's see if we can do this right you know we've been talking about mitchell one and sure track sure track is the folks at mitchell one mitchell1.com it's their database of known fixes and this is kind of neat and this is free you can go out there and read all this stuff for free um, I've been pulling these off the web, and we're we're we're, we're setting something up with them where we're going to do this every week, uh, because I think it's good, solid, timely information. Here's one that talks about let's see, real fixes from Mitchell One SureTrack. Uh, what do you do when your ABS light comes on? If you had a code reader, you might use it to see what's going on. I mean, in this case, you need to seek professional help. Um, you hear that, Tony? You need professional help. Follow this real fix to see how a code for the Park Assist system in this F-150 affected the ABS. 2004 pickup f-150 5.4 it had a code 1742 replaced the park assist control module and then the 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 complaint was the customer stated the abs lights on they connected a scan tool and found a code c as in charlie 1742 rear sounder circuit failure at idle shifted the transmitted transmission into reverse while looking at scan tool data and saw the rear park assist sensor parameter wasn't present with the ignition on and the engine off, they used the multimeter. They checked for the presence of voltage and ground. You see how we get in the testing? You notice nobody just changes things, right? At the Park Assist sensor connector and found signal voltage was not present. Performed an inspection of the sensor wiring and detected no obvious faults with the ignition on and the engine off. Uh, we then went and looked at the Park Assist control module connector, inspected the connector terminals and found no faults with the ignition on and engine off. Used the multimeter to check for the presence of voltage and ground. At the Park Assist control module, found both were present. The results of the test verified the Park Assist control module was faulty, replaced, cleared codes, performed the road test, and verified the vehicle operating properly. The ABS light did not illuminate. The nice thing about this, all right, and Mitchell comes up with these all the time, and these are real-world fixes, you know, where they get the short track real fix fixes from is they've got a mechanics community so you log in to work on you know a 2004 f-150 and they will record that repair as as the conversation around the mechanical community the forums grows and is discussed 
And they will then, you know, if that's a unique story or something that somebody else, they feel, you know, there's enough vehicles out there, they're seeing a common pattern failure, so on and so forth, because Mitchell Mitchell works with Snap-on, actually, building common pattern failures, a common pattern failure database. It's part of the pattern failure database that Snap-on builds into their scan tools, which is a whole other story. And, you know, it, it, it helps us as professionals. It can help you, too, to repair the car. The nice thing about this, and there's a lot of nice things about this, you go out to mitchell1.com forward slash shop connections forward slash short track real fix. And I think anybody can read these. So you can go and take a look at these and see what the benefit is of using the uh, short track repair method and, um, you know, get some good solid information on what it takes to fix the car. Because, uh, listen, it's it's like the conversation we had, with, I don't remember if it was this hour or the previous hour, where I talked to you about the 03 Chevy Tahoe that had the lean fault code, and it turns out number five spark plug wire shorted, created a backfire, blew out the PCV and the mass airflow sensor, and the spark plug wire itself went bad because of animal damage, and animal had chewed up the wire, the uh, spark plug wire itself. Something like that would probably make sure track repair because, you know, it's a little different, and it's, it's more than just this broke and we put it in and we fixed it. Um, and they also give you some testing uh, that you might want to consider doing. So you can find more, like I said, out at Mitchell1.com, and uh, you can kind of take it from there. So uh, let's do that real quick. Wait, i got a couple of – I'm trying to do some housekeeping. Um, I want to bring this up. This is from the Car Care Council. I've been trying to get to this for a week now out of Bethesda, Maryland. And it talks about – you know, this is the don't forget the pre-trip car care checkup before you begin the journey. It is Memorial Day weekend. Um, hopefully, if anybody's getting ready to take a ride for Memorial Day, or at least – at the very least, while we're – you know, doing the, the uh, you know, getting ready for the summer cruise kind of a thing. Um, let's talk about the car. Fluids, filters, oil, when was it last serviced? Washer fluid, brake transmission. You know, cars still need maintenance. They still need fluids. And um, you want to get all that done before you hit the road. And obviously, check the brakes, check the battery, and take a look at the tires because they're what's keeping you safe out on the road. More information available, I think it's carcarecouncil.org. When we come back from the break, I'll have Tom Ray look it up, and uh, he'll pass it along to me. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back. Ron Anning, The Car Doctor. Real quick, John in Alabama. John, how can I help you, sir? Ron Anning at your service. Yes, sir. I was thinking about buying a late model, maybe a Ford Transit Extended Bed or the uh, Dodge ProMaster, but I can't find much information about the how reliable they are. Usually, uh, cars, you can go to the summer reports, but there's not much information that I can find on those type of vehicles. What, what are you trying to achieve, John? Or, you know, what's, what's your end use for the vehicle? Oh, I was going to try to do a conversion to an RV. Okay. So, first of all, vans in general, my experience as a mechanic 43 years of doing this, are a nightmare to maintain. All right, let's, let's have that conversation right up front. Um, if, if vans were easier to maintain, to do anything beyond oil changes and basic brakes and tires, I would have owned one 20 years ago. But, you know, doing any kind of service is just tedious and time-consuming. So make sure if you're going to buy one, you've got a real purpose for it, all right? That's number one. Number two, if you're going to convert a van into an RV, uh, I'm not sure who I would talk to. I would probably, you know, my first question would be, have you seen any transit vans or Dodge vans like you're considering buying that, you know, are an RV? So is there a manufacturer out there that's 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 converting them already? 
And if you know, so that's that's the first question. Have you seen anybody driving? You know, why why did you pick those two? Just because they happen to be probably the only two left. Uh, well, there's a there's the Sprinter, but they're all diesel. And what little I can understand is that as they age, the diesel becomes a real issue right. for cars. So I would stay away from that one just because of the diesel engine. Right. And yes, the Chromaster, the extended dead used quite a bit. Okay. And so the Transit, I've seen. Um, a good number of people use them. So then the next question is, why would you just, why would you go through the, you know, just talking, right? We're just two guys talking. Why would you go through the pain of converting one when you can just go out and buy one? Um, well, I'm retired and I like projects. Okay. Well, I would talk to the manufacturer of that van. I would go look at that van and, you know, can I buy a set of blueprints from you? Yeah, true. Why not, Right. Um, but, but but you may also find that you know when you go look at one of those. Um, let me let me ask you like this, John. And you and I just met. We're now we're good buddies, right? I can ask you this. How right. old how old are you? I'm seventy one. All right. Do you want to go cruising in this van? Um, you want to go take a ride in this yeah. RV, right? right? So so you know it's nice to have a project, but maybe you buy an RV that's. You know, and you're always going to be working on it. It's always going to be a little bit of a project. There's always something to do to an RV, all right? Uh, but, you know, at 71, you know, don't we want to get out on the road and, 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 and not spend three years in the driveway, if you follow what I'm saying? Want to, want to start driving it? And uh, that's probably where I would go. So try that. Talk to the manufacturer. We'll go from there. I'm running any in the car, Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Everyone.